is the Refinery Church Podcast. Each message is from our weekend service right here at our campus located in downtown Brea, California. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. I felt this month was appropriate to talk about that four-letter word that is the, the, the best four-letter word. You can say it anywhere. It's G-rated four-letter word. It's that L-O-V-E love word. Everybody say love. February is the, the theme is love. And I thought, man, this, that's the month we need to just dig into God's love. And last weekend was Valentine's weekend. Raise your hand if you celebrated Valentine's weekend. Come on, did anybody celebrate? No, no, not many of you. You know, everybody needs a kiss. Everybody needs a kiss on Valentine's. And so since many of you probably didn't get a kiss, I thought I'm gonna make sure I give a kiss to everybody that I can. There you go, have a kiss, have a kiss. There you go, Arlene. You're not singing anymore. You can have one. Here you go, Hanukkah. You can have a kiss. Now what you can say is uh, Pastor Kelly kissed me at church right there. I got a kiss from Pastor Kelly at church. And then you're going to get on the news and people are going to say, that's that kind of church. Uh, great. Oh, 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 catch. All right, here we go. We're coming all the way back to the back. Okay, I'm in a big handful. There you go. And all the way back to the back. Hands up, heads up. Here we go. And Dennis, I know you're, you're ready for it, right? I'll give my brother a kiss, my sister-in-law, my niece a kiss, my other niece a kiss. Make sure you guys, you got to have a kiss on Valentine's, right? All right, we got plenty. Everybody get a kiss? Good. I want to make sure everybody gets a kiss. Now, I know some of you don't care for chocolate. If you don't care for chocolate, give it to somebody that does like chocolate. Yeah, see now your mouths are eating on the chocolate. It smells good in here now too, right? I got that smell of chocolate. Man, there's something about chocolate. People are obsessed with chocolate. Have you noticed that? The lines at Seize Candy, uh, you know, a month before uh, Valentine's Day, the lines start going down the mall. Uh, we've got a Seize Candy outlet over there in uh, Anaheim, and the lines are out the doors and down the block. People are obsessed with chocolate. It's no surprise that chocolate and love are synonymous, it's, it's so, for some reason, when you hear the word chocolate, you kind of think of love. Maybe you do. Uh, maybe you don't. Maybe you just think of, well, those extra pounds that, that chocolate puts on. I don't, I don't know what you think of. But chocolate and love give us that, that euphoric feeling, right? Remember the first time you fell in love? Remember that, those feelings of love, that euphoric feeling of love? Chocolate tends to have that same sort of emotion evoked, that's why people obsess over chocolate because they're trying to recreate that feeling. But more than chocolate, we are obsessed with love in our society. We love love in a society. We do. We love love, right? Music industry. Every other song is about love, broken love, good love, hot love, whatever you want to call it. The, 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 the flower industry, my goodness, I mean, they are built on love, right? The candy industry, I mean, they're examples of our desire to love and be loved. Movies, TV, they all capitalize on this, on our deep desire, again, to love and be loved. But we use that word so loosely. We love our cars. We love our teams, right? Go Angels. Uh -huh. We are a house divided in here, aren't we? <laughs> we love our pets and on and on and on and on and on with love, love, love. We love, love. 
once in a great while, we're fortunate enough to see real love put on display, right? Once in a while, when there's a selfless act of kindness, we go, okay, there's something about that. A generous gift with no strings attached. There's where we see that real love exhibited. A sacrificial time of service with nothing expected in return. Real love, genuine love. A faithfulness, a faithfulness, a fidelity to a commitment. Real love. We're moved by the beauty of real love, aren't we? When it's demonstrated. It's something we long for, we look forward to. It can bring a tear to your eye if you're watching a movie or, or you're entertained and you see a genuine act of sacrificial love. The reasons why? Because real love, and research shows this, is essential to life. We need love. Yeah. Food, water, shelter, Safety, these are critical essentials so that we can live. But without love, it's simply an empty existence. It's just surviving. And we were created by love, to love, and to be loved. And so love is essential to real life. Real love could be described as oxygen. Without it, you'll die. But with it, you thrive. Isn't that right? I appreciated Zai last week. She said there's a hole in our hearts. Every human being is created with this love hole in our heart. And that's what we need to fill it up, is genuine, real Love. The first thing a newborn baby desires is to be held and, and wants to, to be assured that they're loved. When a child experiences that kind of love, they thrive. But when a child doesn't experience genuine, selfless, unconditional love, well, we see them all over the place. They're broken people who spend their life looking for love, right? Without it, that commitment of feeling, without that commitment and feeling of genuine love, the child grows to pursue love, longing for it. They become an adult that's saying, I need, I want it, I want it, I want it. And sadly, sadly, so many of them fall into situations or relationships that are damaging and hurtful because they're pursuing love. And they land in a place where they, 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 they experience a false sense of love. It's hard to find love the way the world puts it out there. When we look around and we, we, we try to go where society tells us to go, where Hollywood tells us to go, or social media tells us to go, we end up being like that old song, looking for love in all the wrong places, searching for love in too many faces, as the old song goes. Anybody old enough to remember that? Okay, a few of you. We need to stop looking in the wrong places and look to the source right here. It's like the, 
the advertisement for Crystal Geyser water. If you're familiar with Crystal Geyser, they say, bottled at the source. That's supposed to be better, right? It's not down through the filtration system into L.A., out of the L.A. River with a tap running out of it. They say bottled at the source. Oh, that makes it better because that's what I want. I want it from the source. I want it from the origin. We got to look to, if we want real love, if people want to experience real love, we have to look to the source. God's word is the source and the definition of love. The word love in the New King James Version translation is mentioned over 567 times in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, it is the theme of the Bible. Some people mistake thinking the Bible is a book of rules. That's what it was designed for. Or they, they think the Bible is designed as a religious manuscript. And there are aspects of that that are true. But the primary purpose of God's word, the Bible, is to say those three little, wor three little words, which we would have them on the screen right now if we had the technology, but we don't. And those three little words are, say it with me, I love you. The most popular, most powerful three-letter words that you can say. I love you. And God says it through 66 books written over 3,000 years from Genesis to Revelation. He's saying, I love you. And he talks about his relentless love for mankind. The best definition of love will not be found in a Hallmark card. Or, or, or watching some rom-com. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's a romantic comedy. I've been married 30 years. I know exactly what a rom-com is. The best definition is found in the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. And unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to put it on the screen up here, but I am going to read it to you. If you have a Bible app, you may want to open it up and turn over there to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The best definition is found in 1 Corinthians, the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Maybe you've heard this at a wedding. Maybe you've heard this in a song. But I thought tonight we need to spend a little time and, and reflect on God's definition of love. Let me pause and give you a little background. The Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth about 2,000 years ago. Corinth is, a, is an ancient Greek town, and the Greeks felt like they had the corner on love, right? They even had a mythical goddess by the name, you guys know what, remember her name, Aphrodite? She was a mythical goddess that was the goddess of love. So the Greeks thought they knew what love was. Unfortunately, Aphrodite was more associated with beauty and sex and less about real love. And so the Holy Spirit moves upon the Apostle Paul to say, I want to define, I am the source, I am the origin of love, and so I want to give the definition of what real love is. This society in Corinth needs to hear what real love is. This Christian church needs to know, because this Christian church is right smack dab in the middle of Greek culture, and so they may have a skewed view on what love is, and so I want to write and define what it is. It's very appropriate for us, because in our society today, I believe love is a skewed. The definition of love is a little tweaked, 
And so I'm going to go to the source and I'm going to look at it. And I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. This is the New Living Translation. If you have your apps open, you can follow with me. It starts very simple. Are you ready? Love is patient. Everybody say patient. We're going to do some interaction here since we don't have the screens. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous. Say not jealous. It's not jealous. It's not boastful. Say not boastful. It's not proud. Say not proud. Mm. Now let me read and I'll just keep going for us. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. I talk with married couples sometimes and sometimes the way I see them talking to each other when they're out in public, I wonder, do you love him? Do you love her? Because you're being really rude. And if somebody, some stranger talked to you the way you're talking to him, you might slap that stranger. So I got to ask you, do you love him or her? Because love is not rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. <laughs> yeah, turn to your spouse and say, I love you. If you have a spouse here, boyfriend, girlfriend, best friend. And it keeps no record of being wronged. Mm. It does not rejoice over injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Love never fails. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. You should print that out. You should write that out somewhere. Post it somewhere so that you know the definition of real love. It's important for us to know because the question then becomes, am I loving like this? Is this the way I'm loving? See it? Back then, that was a stark contrast to their society's definition of love that simply looked at beauty and romance and sex. That's one shallow level of love. Love is so much more, according to the scriptures. It's a pretty clear definition. You may even sum it up in this word right here, selfless. Everybody say selfless. See, love is about extending, not about receiving. Love, all of that there, love is described. Interestingly enough, and if I, I would put this on the screen, but you guys can follow along with me. Interestingly enough, this definition also defines God. It does. God is patient and kind. God never gives up. God never loses faith in you. Even when you lose faith in you, God never loses faith in you. He always is hopeful and he always endures. And when we look at this scripture, we see the definition of love, we see the definition of God. And so the three letter the three simple words, the three little words I love you can also be switched around for our message tonight. The title of our message is God is love. Those three-letter words is God is love. And I'm going to show you a couple of places in Scripture that it's going to impact you, and God's love should and will impact you if you will have a heart to receive and ears to hear. So, of course, we go, okay, 
well, God is love, but how, how do we see that? How do we, how can we handle, how can we get our hands around that? God is so big and, and so huge. Let me tell you something. God made it simple for us. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world, it says in John 3, 16, that he gave his only son. I'm going to pause here for a second. For God so loved the world, so loved the world, loved you, that he gave, selfless act, gave his son. So what we can do is we can look at Jesus and we can see how God loves by the way Jesus lived his life. There's various places in the New Testament that say that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So we go, wow, God's so big, he's so huge, it, it's hard to understand, he's a spirit. But the New Testament says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Second if, you're, if you're a person that takes notes, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. All say that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So when you see Jesus, when you hear Jesus in the Bible, how he responds and reacts to things, that's how God responds and reacts to things. How Jesus loves, that's how God loves. So when we hear God is love, we look at Jesus and go, what did he do? What did he say? So now I can know how to interpret that. So here's what we can do now. God is love. Jesus is the, the image of the invisible God. So how did Jesus demonstrate God's love for humanity? That's where we bring it to. The whole Testament is, is directing us towards Jesus. The whole New Testament points to Jesus, all the way even to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, which points to Jesus, because Jesus is the demonstration of God's love. So I'm going to show you two places tonight that we can look at and see God's love activated and actualized through Jesus for you and for me. So I want to show you guys. For the next few minutes, I want to look at Jesus and see a couple of things that he said and did that reveal the depth of God's love. It's a whole bunch of scriptures, so let me, uh, let me read them to you. First one is John chapter 8, verses 3 through 11. You guys ready? Hey, Austin, give me a little quiet background music as I read. Give me a, since we don't have this technology, let's try something a little different, shall we? John chapter 8, verses 3 through 11. A little reading music, please. We ready? When you're ready to go. Something simple, something instrumental, something melodic. And there go all my family members to say, here's what he likes. John chapter 8, verses 3 through 11. Are we ready? Check this out. Jesus was teaching. He was preaching. He was doing what he did here on earth. And he comes to this place. And here's what it says in John chapter 8, verses 3 through 11. There we are. As he was speaking, so doesn't that help? Come on. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. 
Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. For those of you who are a little un, don't know what adultery is, I mean, I'm going to be straight up. It's having sex with somebody who is not your spouse. That's the definition of adultery. Having sex with somebody who's not your spouse. So this woman was caught in adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say, Jesus? Verse 6, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. Theologians have talked about for many years, what must he have been writing there? We don't know. It doesn't say. Someday when I get to heaven, I'll be interested to say, Jesus, what were you writing in the dust? Jesus might respond, I was writing your sins, Kelly. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, I don't need to ask that question anymore. Verse 7. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. That's why I think sins may have been, may have been listing sins. May have been? I don't know. Verse 9, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. Well, they probably had the most sins, so they ran away. Until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. These were, these were some smart men. Jesus put it out there. He, he who has no sin, let him be the first one to cast the stone. And you could hear rocks, plunk, 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 as the oldest to the youngest begin to move away. To the point eventually where it says this. Only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Verse 10 says, Then Jesus stood up again and said now to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus says, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Isn't that good? That's good. Awesome. Excellent, Austin. Way to go. Give Austin a big hand back there supporting me. We're going to do that again in a minute, so, so keep that handy. I like that. I mean, these religious leaders, it's, it's so interesting when we consider that. These religious leaders think they're going to trap God. Remember, Jesus is God in the flesh. He's the image of the invisible God. They think they're going to trap God with, with laws, but they misunderstood that the one who wrote the law in the beginning is the one standing in front of them. And Jesus doesn't even address the issues of the law. He just stoops down and begins to write in the sand. Again, we don't know what. Maybe he was writing the Ten Commandments. Maybe he was doing what he did when he was there with Moses when the finger of God wrote those Ten Commandments on stone. Maybe that same finger was writing the Ten Commandments there in the sand. Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not. Hmm. Yeah, those are some laws. Anyone who has not sinned, go ahead and throw the first stone. Ooh. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't be a stone thrower. Maybe I should be a grace giver instead. Notice the words Jesus says when all this takes place and all of it's done, and there's the woman who'd been caught in sin. He says this. He says, woman, where are your accusers? He said, neither do I condemn you. See, the love of God was not condemning. It was forgiving. 
Isn't that good? Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. It says there in John chapter 3, verse 17, it says that Jesus didn't come here to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Saved from what? Saved from condemnation. It's condemnation. But we sure feel damned when we are condemned, don't we? We walk around under this weight of condemnation like, God, I, don't des- I can't be loved by you. I can't be loved by anybody because what I've done, what I think, what I've said, <sighs> if people knew, they'd reject me. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I don't reject you. I don't condemn you. I want to forgive you and set you free. Free to be who I created you to be. God loves you. And if you're writing some notes and I could put it on the screen here, here's what I'd say. God, or Jesus forgave. God forgives. Love forgives. Jesus forgave. God forgives. Love forgives. You can write that down as a definition. Love forgives. And God's love is for your forgiveness. And then in turn, if we love, what do we do? If we're going to love, what do we do? Come on, church. If we're going to love, what are we going to do? Forgive. Forgive. See, now it's getting personal, Kelly. Wait a minute. I can receive God's forgiveness, but you're expecting me to forgive? Yes. Yes. Because when we forgive, we're set free. When we forgive, we're set free. When we're forgiven, we're set free. When we forgive, we're set free. And God says, I have come so that you would be saved. Saved from condemnation, saved from bitterness, saved from unforgiveness that becomes a cancer inside. God loves you. And Jesus provided forgiveness for all those things that you have done. And now he says, I want you to go and forgive too. Number two. So Jesus forgave. God loves, or God forgives. Love forgives. Number two. This is found in Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. And now it's time for a little more music. Austin, would you please? There we go. Luke chapter 9, beginning of verse 10. When the apostles returned, they had been out. Jesus had sent the apostles out in groups to go and be missionaries, short-term missionaries. Go out, what you have been given you freely give. So go out there and minister in my name. So he sends them out. They come back and they're so excited. Oh man, Jesus, we prayed for people and they were healed. They're so excited. So here's what it says. Verse 10, when the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. Then he slipped quietly away with them toward the town of Bethsaida. He wanted to get away from the crowd. He's like, okay, come on guys. I want to hear about this. So let's go. Crowds were always demanding, as people were, demanding, demanding. He needed a little time with his guys. Verse 11 says, but the crowds found out where he was going. Well, because Twitter, right? 
<laughs> okay, there were birds around there. It wasn't Twitter. And they followed him. He welcomed them, and he taught. I love that. But the crowds found out where he was going. They followed him, and he welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God. And he healed all those who were sick. Everybody say, all those. All those who were sick. Verse 12, late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, Jesus, send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There's nothing to eat here in this remote place. Verse 13, but Jesus says, you feed them. (laughs) It's a good senior pastor, right? What there's needs, do something about it. I love that. I learn from this all the time because I have people that will come sometimes, and there's nobody in this room has done this, um, but sometimes people will come and say, Pastor Kelly, uh, we should be doing this and that and feeding and clothing and doing this, that, and the other. And I say, oh, by we, you mean what? Well, Pastor Kelly, you and the church should be doing this. I take a a page from Jesus' teaching. You feed him. If God put it on your heart, then maybe you should be doing something about it. Jesus said, you feed them. And of course, their response was, well, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? For there were about 5,000 men there. That didn't include the women and the children. We're talking about 10,000 plus people. And I know what these disciples are saying. We've got five loaves and two fish that ain't enough to go around. That can barely feed one person. Jesus replied, I love this. Jesus replied, I don't know what we're going to do. No, he didn't say that. If it was on the screen there, you'd laugh a little louder because he didn't say that. He said, tell them to sit down. In groups of about 50. So the people all sat down. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up towards heaven and he gave thanks. Ooh, that's so good. You all need to hear this. This is a sidebar. This has nothing to do with what I'm teaching, but it does have to do with the Word of God. Jesus took five loaves and two fish, and he looked at the needs that were in front of him, and he didn't go, oh, God, what are we going to do? This ain't going to go very far. Maybe we need to have some sort of fundraising campaign. We need, we need to do something here. Maybe, if, if, maybe we just need to pass a plate and see if everybody could raise enough money so that we could then buy the food. You know what he said? He said, I thank you, God, for these five loaves and these two fish. And he broke it. And he began to hand it out. And began to hand it out. The Bible says, Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. He looked up towards heaven and he thanked God. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he handed it out. And the bread and the fish continued as the disciples would distribute it to all the people. They ate, oh, it says, they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciple picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. There was more than enough. Everybody say, more than enough. Love meets needs. Jesus met the need. God meets needs. Love meets needs needs. So what is love? Love forgives. And love meets needs. 
Jesus demonstrated that in the word. Jesus not only provided forgiveness for the soul, but food for the body, healing for the body. Listen, you need to hear this. God's not only concerned about your spiritual well-being, your emotional well-being. He's concerned about your physical well-being. And tonight when we begin to wrap up, I've asked some folks to come and come to the front. Not, not just yet, but in a few minutes. I've asked them to come to the front because they want to pray for you. Because we believe that God cares about your spiritual needs, your emotional needs, and your physical needs. God forgives. Love forgives. God meets needs. Love meets needs. God is love. Jesus showed us that God's heart and love is for our well-being. And he wants to provide for our needs. Today, the message is simple. God is love. God forgives. God wants to meet your needs. And then we have a responsibility in return to do the same. Isn't that good? that good? Marlene, why don't you come on up here? Today's point is simple. God's love, and he defines it. He demonstrates it, and he offers it to each of us. I'm going to have our prayer people come on and come forward now. You guys can just hang out there over to the side. You don't have to feel the need to move forward. You're not going to be forced to be prayed over. But we want to give an opportunity for everyone to receive prayer. Because we all have needs. Emotional needs. Spiritual needs. Physical needs. And tonight we sang the song about God's relentless love. We looked into scripture about God's unconditional and overwhelmingly obsessive love for you. And he wants to see those needs met. Because he loves, he forgives. Because he loves, he provides. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you so much for your love that was demonstrated through the works and the life of Jesus Christ who didn't come here to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We have forgiveness if we'll receive it. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed and nobody looking around, maybe when I was talking about that forgiveness, something was stirring inside of you. You're going, I need, I need to get right with God here. I need to get these things straight. Listen, the Bible says with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, please take this moment of, of contemplation. Take this moment of privacy with you and God and hear these words. The word says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we will confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't want you burdened down with this. He wants you cleansed and free. So right now, he doesn't want you condemned. He wants you free. So talk to God right now. Say, God in heaven, the things I've been looking at on the computer, it's sin. Forgive me. The words that I've been speaking, those hateful words, those, those vile words, God, that's sin. Forgive me. The way I've been cutting corners financially and I know it's cheating, God. It is sin. Forgive me. Whatever it is, get it right right now and take that moment to receive God's love 
his forgiveness. In Jesus' name. And now, I want you, now that we've done this work, Father God, in Jesus' name, there are needs around this room. Physical needs. Lord, there's a woman. Christina Strahanan shared with me that there's, she, she saw a picture of a woman crying out that there's a woman here in this room that is just feeling so desperate she needs a touch from you, Jesus. If that's you here tonight, if you're that woman, God hears your cries and he wants to meet your needs. Receive that now in the name of Jesus Christ, would you right now? There's some men in here that are, that are, that are worried, they're anxious, they're losing sleep at night because of the financial stress that they're under, bring that need to God right now. And it may just seem like you only have five loaves and two fish in your bank account, but right now begin to activate the promises of God and begin to say, God, thank you for what we have. And Lord, meet the needs that are before us miraculously through the small that we have. Because in your hands, it will multiply. We lay these into your care right now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let that be your prayer right now. Right now, be set free from worry, anxiety, and stress. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can look up here at me if you want to. I really felt moved. We do a a program here called Elements. Elements 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. Uh, we're going to be running Elements 1.0 again. And I saw James Grove back there lifting his hands and cheering because James is going to give a testimony pretty soon here about Elements. Uh, Elements 1.0 goes into the depth of God's love. We run from Genesis to Revelation in five weeks. And you will have a new understanding of the depth of God's love. Am I right, James, or what? It's incredible. Matter of fact, there are people who say, I'm going to do it again because I just need to go through it again. So I want to invite you. It's the, the, the information's on your calendar. I want to invite you to be a part of that and also to invite somebody to be a part. of it. It's five Wednesdays, five Wednesdays out of the year where you can dive deep into the power of God's love. All right? As we leave, as we get to exit here, and, and our prayer people are going to be up here at front, you feel free when we dismiss to move forward here. Uh, everybody probably needs prayer, so feel free to just kind of come up while we're eating. But as we leave, listen to this. We have a responsibility when we receive God's love to be a dispenser of love. Jesus said these words in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. He said, freely you've received, now freely give. The action of love is giving. And so if you've been forgiven, go forgive. I'm going to make a challenge to you this week. Look for a way to forgive somebody. When somebody cuts you off this week, because all of us will probably be cut off this week. We live in Southern California. And I didn't hear anybody at the beginning say my favorite thing in Southern California is the traffic. Nobody said that. So the next time somebody cuts you off, instead of giving them the one-way sign to heaven... Right out loud, say, I forgive you in Jesus' name. (laughs) See what that does for you. 
this week, extend forgiveness to someone who doesn't even deserve it. Who doesn't deserve it. Because guess what? We probably don't deserve it either. Because if we were standing next to Jesus when he begins to write in the sand, what would we see? And he would say to you, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Um, This week, look for a way to meet somebody's needs. I'm going to challenge you to do something practical this week. Okay, Pastor Kelly, I'm going to take the challenge. Before next Saturday, find a way to help meet somebody's needs. I was so blessed uh, that that Justin um, and Christina received a a number of gift cards, uh, dinner gift cards, because, hey, they just had a baby. Uh, You know, they're trying to make ends meet. And I was so blessed to hear that they had received like half a dozen of these different gift cards. That's a practical way to meet somebody's needs. Look for a way to meet somebody's needs this week. Will you do that? Will you be the love of God to somebody? Come on, we can do that. That's what the church is supposed to be doing. We want to be known for what we do, acts of love. Even Jesus said that. He said, they will know that you are my followers by the love you have for one another. I don't want to be known for the hate we have for others. I want to be known for the love we have for others. Because that's what really should be all about, right? Amen. Why don't you stand up? Forgive someone who doesn't deserve it this week. That is love. Help meet somebody's needs this week. That is love. Be the hands and feet of God this week. For more information about Refinery Church, like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at We Are Refinery. If these messages have blessed you, please consider supporting the ministry by visiting our website at wearerefinery.com/give.